Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, here with the founder of brewhoop.com and long-time voice of the podcast, Frank Madden. Uh, We're going to continue the mailbag today. We've got a couple of questions. We are eventually going to get to to what I would say, the question that everyone's been waiting for. Uh, There was a Twitter user today, Frank, that suggested that you were... uh, Loki uh, pissed off at me for suggesting that I, I didn't watch too many TV shows, but um, we are going to get to that question uh, just to, to finish this off. Uh, the, the Twitter user, I don't have it in front of me. I, I feel bad about that. But the Twitter user did say that I was bringing you uh, back bad memories of podcasting with Eric when it came to that. So I've got a few TV shows I've been watching. We're going to get to those. I do think you are going to be the main man when it comes to that question. But I do want to start with some basketball stuff. We had a question from at Drew Delgado who asks, what will the Bucks do with Sterling Brown and DJ Wilson this offseason? We had a number of questions on DJ Wilson. So for uh, anyone else that asked about DJ, uh, we had a question from Tyler about DJ and the G League, which we can get to. And also Al Rivers asked about DJ as well. So uh, what do you see from those two guys? Because I, I think, um, you know, probably for mine, Sterling Brown in particular, uh, obviously, this Bucks team is very, very good, and, and you know rotation spots were hard to come by, particularly at that position. But uh, I think it's fair to say Sterling was probably a disappointment from this year. You know, coming into the season, we had some expectations that he might be able to really uh, push for a, a regular rotation spot, and we even discussed the possibility of potentially starting when we were talking about Wesley Matthews. So uh, maybe we can start with Sterling. But uh, where, where do you think he's at right now, as far as? as far as the Bucks are concerned? Uh, I mean, you know, I think you maybe have heard similar, like, suggestions that, you know, Sterling Brown hasn't necessarily been... Um, I mean, I think there have been times where he's been in the doghouse a bit with yeah. uh, with Bud. Um, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, nothing, like, super flagrant necessarily, but um, I, I, I don't know what, what to do with him because I think if he had built on last season when I think we saw, you know, some notable improvement. Uh, you know, he was a poor finisher as a rookie. He got better. I think his ball skills generally looked better last year. And then this year it just doesn't feel like that's happened. Like we've seen any real progression, you know, I think, um, uh, you know, he's, he's kind of had moments, you know, like I just think back to the Sacramento game where, I mean, he really changed that game in the third quarter when he came in after kind of not being, not playing much and then didn't play in the game after that either. Um, so he kind of has these stretches where, you know, you kind of watch him and, you know, the toughness, the rebounding, um, the flashes of offensive skill, you know, he'll throw down a nasty dunk on people every once in a while. You know, he can obviously uh, knock down threes, especially from the corners. Um, but, you know, the playmaking hasn't really come. Um, I think defensively he's probably more um, looks better than he is, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. 
like as a rookie, he just fouled a ton. But I think, you know, again, I don't know if we've, he's fully realized sort of what his um, defensive capabilities are. But obviously, you know, I mean, I think he fits in fine, right? It's not like he's some sort of defensive liability by any stretch. Um, and I think he's got some versatility there. But, uh, yeah, so I, mean, it's, I think it's been a bit of a letdown season for, for Sterling. So I, I don't know. I mean, it wouldn't be surprising to me at all if they go into the summer or windfall or winter or whenever the season ends, uh, whenever free agency happens. Um, kind of feeling like, eh, you know, we're moving on. That wouldn't shock me. Um, but the flip side is, you know, it's not like they're going to have, you know, um, like a bunch of cap space that they're going to need yeah. to free up. So, um, you know, he'll have, uh, you know, a modest cap hold. Um, he's, you know, I, I don't know what his market's going to look like, but I don't think it's going to blow anyone away. So uh, I think they're going to be probably some interesting decisions they're going to have to make. I would guess that they would, you know, make him a restricted free agent. And then, you know, I mean, keep in mind, Pat Connaughton is also a free agent this summer. Kyle Korver is a free agent. Marvin Williams is a free agent. Marvin's probably more relevant to DJ, obviously. But, um, you know, there are a number of different pieces that, that could be on the move. I mean, Wes Matthews has a player option for $2.7 million. So you know, he could opt out, perhaps trying to see if he can get, um, you know, more money or a multi-year deal or something like that, whether it's from the Bucks or otherwise. So <clears throat> there's a bunch of different kind of moving pieces that Sterling, you know, sort of will be, his fate will be probably intertwined with those guys. Again, unless the Bucks decide they're not going to, they don't want to move forward. So, you know, I think, is there a price at which um, I would say, yeah, you keep Sterling Brown? I think so, especially, you know, again, just given the lack of flexibility to go add outside free agents. Um, I think there's definitely worlds where, where I could see the Bucks giving him, you know, a pretty modest contract um, to, to kind of come back. Um, you know, do I see someone paying him seven million a year or something like that? No, I mean, I don't, I don't think he's done enough to justify anything like that. Um, and so, and and I think by the way, when I talk about contracts kind of moving forward, I'm I'm going in the assumption that there probably will not be a huge drop in the cap next year, just because. Of, and this is kind of a whole separate discussion, but um, there's a really good podcast with Nate Duncan, our our friend, and and Larry Kuhn, who's kind of the godfather of NBA cap stuff, and. You know, they talked about a scenario. I mean, the cap is supposed to be based on sort of expectations of future income, and normally it's sort of just based on growing growing previous year revenues, obviously. So I actually don't think the cap is going to go down a ton next year, even though revenues are going to plummet. Um, so I think in a world where that is sort of the case, then, you know, we're not going to see some Armageddon where every team is in the tax or whatever. So that's part of what my assumption is as I talk about these things, um, subject to change. So, yeah, I mean, I could see him back, but, um, I don't know. Is it a 50-50 thing? Like, eh, maybe something like that. I don't, I don't know. What's your, what's your take on Sterling? Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinklist. Blinklist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinklist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of non-fiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. 12 million people are using Blinklist right now and it has a massive and growing library. From self-help, business, health to history books, Blinklist has the latest titles from bestsellers lists as well as the classic non-fiction titles you're always meant to read but never had time to. With Blinklist, you can get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed non-fiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. 
Right now, for a limited time, Blinklist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinklist.com slash NBA. Try for free for seven days and save 25% off your new subscription. That's Blinklist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. Blinklist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial. You also save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinklist.com slash NBA. So I want to remind you guys about our friends at D1 Milwaukee, our very first local sponsor for Locked On Bucks. D1 is the place for the athlete. You set the goal. We help you get there. All coaches are former D1 collegiate strength and conditioning coaches and athletes. They build science-based programs created specifically to improve athletic performance in a state-of-the-art facility. But given that times are a little bit uncertain right now we want to move on to their summer camps that they have coming up for your kids for seven to 11 year olds they will focus on the fundamentals of athleticism they will spend time each day developing running mechanics working on balance and coordination utilizing the fundamentals of movements the coaches will create a fun active environment for your young athlete to train in and for 12 to 14 year olds they're going to give your athlete a competitive edge on their peers focusing on linear speed and change of direction Along with progressions in strength training, your athlete will develop extremely quickly with our coach's expert instruction. In order to play with the best, you need to train with the best. A reminder that D1 is located in the Mech 1 Pavilions right off I-43. If you want to get more information, you can hit them up at d1training.com. Keep those summer camps in mind. D1 is the place for the athlete. You set the goal. We help you get there. Well, I think the interesting thing is when I think back to to last season, and maybe this is why my expectations were a, a little elevated to to maybe some in where I thought he was going to be in the pecking order. I mean, remember he was starting uh, playoff games when when Malcolm Brogdon was injured. But I, I think the other important thing to remember is during that time Dante Divincenzo was not playing, and yeah. I, I think even from early last season we saw even as a rookie that Bud was uh, leaning towards bringing Dante in ahead of Sterling. And I, I probably have to admit that I, I overlooked that. And, and the fact that um, we talk about the, the step that Dante took, but also just the fact he was healthy. I think uh, just by, by that in itself sort of pushed Sterling down the pecking order. But again, I mean, I, I think the big problem for Sterling, and not everyone can do this, and this is what I always come back to when I think about him, to, to play such sporadic minutes, and then feel like you only have one opportunity to play here. And it might be on the front end of a back-to-back or, or the second night of a back-to-back. And that was really the situations he was playing outside of when uh, guys were injured. It's really difficult. But I, I think the, the big thing for him is, as you pointed to, his percentages went down. He, even his two-point percentage from last year up at 55.8% went down to 42.3%. He went from 36% from three down to uh, 31%. And, and that... You know, it's really tough. It's a tough situation to be in, but the fact that that those numbers weren't looking good, and also, I think the reason he found himself in the, in the doghouse, as you pointed to, was uh, defensively some some issues defensively and and being a little bit lax there. So uh, I don't think that he took the opportunities that were there for him, but they were rare, and I, I think it was it was difficult. I, I don't think that there's going to be a huge marker for him, and and I I, I feel like he's a guy that the Bucks wouldn't mind having. You know, I mean, he's he's a decent player to have as a as a third, you know, string guy uh, coming off the bench. I, I wouldn't have any problem with him sticking around. But again, I I don't, uh, you know, I, I have no idea what the market is going to be. And and as you sort of pointed to, I mean, there is some 
uh, uncertainty with with what money is going to be around and what teams are, are looking to spend for sure. But uh, I think you know the DJ one is a little more interesting. I mean, when we think back to again last season when the uh, when Miritich was traded in, that was really it for DJ. He didn't see any time basically after that, uh, even though you know things obviously as we know didn't didn't work out too well with, with Nico. But uh, that sort of transitioned into this season where. Ursan uh, remained ahead of him in the pecking order, and then uh, they go and pick up Marvin Williams in in the buyout market. So again, you're talking about a guy that was uh, well and truly buried in the uh, in the rotation. But we saw when he got his opportunity through January, February last year, late December, he came into the rotation, but he went through an extended uh, shooting slump. And while he was always, uh, you know, showed flashes defensively of being a guy that can uh, be switchable and, and defend a, a number of guys and be really athletic and just do things that Ersan can't do defensively uh, mobility-wise. But uh, I think that his shot was shaky. I don't think he brought a lot to the table uh, offensively. And, and ultimately, I think that Bud just had the trust in the veterans over a guy like DJ. I don't necessarily think that there was any lost faith in, in Wilson in particular or the fact that they didn't like him but I, I just think we know that Bud is generally, you know, maybe Dante is the the exception here, a guy that, that likes to roll with the vets. And I, I think the signing of Marvin Williams for the stretch run this year was really the final nail in the coffin for DJ. And uh, I don't know where he stands, but I, I do think that he is a guy that the Bucks still like. Uh, just given the situation, there hasn't been a chance to, to play. I mean, I don't really know any, I, I don't have any real insight into it. Um... I would I would kind of question that a bit just because, I mean, how many games where – I feel like there have been a lot of games where if you had any faith in DJ Wilson, you could have played DJ yeah. Wilson and, and Bud hasn't, including playing Sterling over him at times as a small ball four over DJ in some of those games earlier in the season. So I don't know. I mean, I, but I can't necessarily say I totally understand it either because it's not like DJ's ever been like a – oh, he doesn't try hard enough on defense guy, right? Yeah, like, yeah. you know, like, especially this year, you know, I mean, pretty much his only minutes have been garbage time. And, you know, he's playing with Pat Connaughton as his point guard half the time. And he's like weird lineups with like Thanasis and like whatever else, right? Like they're not really, it's kind of hard to, uh, to, to, to judge a lot off the garbage time minutes when those are, you know, the only minutes you're getting. Um, so he ends up just sort of chucking shots a lot. And, and I think offensively has looked, you know, generally like he doesn't, really know how he's supposed to fit in but you know again I think coaches including people like Bud I mean they're they're less worried about you know that especially in that scenario then are you showing effort and working and and you know trying to earn minutes defensively and obviously that's the one area that we would say especially last year DJ did enough to, to earn minutes so yeah it's kind of a weird situation I mean you know, he was uh John Horst's first draft pick right so something um, about DJ struck, you know, John Horst fancy, uh, they stuck with him going into last season. Right. I mean, they, you know, we, we debated whether they were even going to pick up his third year team option heading into last season. And I was like, Oh, you know, like I was on my Christian Wood bandwagon and I was like, you know, cut, 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 you know, or, or just dump DJ, don't pick up his option and sell him off somewhere. And then ironically, you know, DJ then has really a great sort of December, January stretch of play you kind of forget about Wood. And then, you know, a year later, it's wild because Christian Wood now is, is all of a sudden, you know, in line for probably a really nice pay raise and has done a nice job sort of, you know, again, kind of as a garbage time, perpetual garbage time in Detroit sort of, you know, guy. Like he's taking advantage of obviously a 
team that isn't going anywhere. But, um, you know, DJ, meanwhile, for all he did defensively and the versatility he showed last year, um, you know, couldn't, couldn't supplant Urson, which, which, I, you know, I kind of, you know, we, we joke about how much Bud likes Urson that maybe that's not the biggest condemnation, but the fact that again, somebody like Sterling was getting minutes over him. The fact that there were a lot of opportunities and, and he just couldn't crack the rotation. And, you know, interestingly, Marvin Williams kind of getting the benefit of the doubt and sort of just taking Urson's spot very quickly suggests that, well, maybe it wasn't purely just Bud loving, uh, loving Urson irrationally. Um, so I don't know. I mean, uh, the the problem with DJ, I mean, I thought, to be honest, my thought, uh, I thought the Bucks were, were, I mean, if I was going to bank on a trade at the deadline, I thought the Bucks were going to basically do like a, a DJ yeah. salary dump disguised as like a change of scenery type move. Um, like, Hey, do they maybe find some like random cheap wing? Who's maybe a, a you know, maybe like a younger guy in a working contract and disappointing. And he just, you know, uh, you just flip them, right? Like, remember, if if the the Stanley Johnson Thon Maker deal had just been the one for one we initially thought it was, could it have been something like that, where it's just like, eh, like give me some random guy who's a wing or something, and you know we'll act like we like him, but really we're just getting him because he's an expiring contract. We don't have to pay him next year, uh, and that's kind of the issue because I mean DJ's cap number goes from about three million to four and a half next year. Yeah, and again on a on a team like this. Um, you know, if you're not playing, then it ain't good to be spent paying somebody four and a half million bucks. So it, it puts them in a bit of an awkward spot. So, um, so I, I don't know. And then the fact that you're not seeing him play any full, any meaningful minutes and, you know, with Marvin coming, you know, any, any line of sight he would have had to, to showing the bucks something, uh, kind of goes out the window. And I know he's had like some, uh, he's had some nice games, uh, in Oshkosh with the herd. Um, so and credit to him for for that but you know again what does that really mean in terms of his NBA future it's really tough to say so um you know I think if the Bucks had a chance to trade him you know essentially into some team's cast base they would happily do that but again especially if you know maybe belts don't get completely tightened next year on the league but if they're getting tightened at all uh which it seems likely will happen at least a little bit um then you know who's who's willing to pay DJ Wilson four and a half million dollars <laughs> next year even as an expiring salary I you know, I don't really think there is. And, you know, I don't think any of us are going to suggest the Bucks use a, a first round pick to get rid of four and a half million in salary. So uh, it, it's definitely a weird spot. Um, it seems like the Bucks might be kind of stuck with him um, or, or, you know, again, maybe they trade him for, um, for somebody who fills like a position of greater need, who's also sort of a similar caliber player, but, but again, it's kind of hard to, to discuss as well, just because I mean, Ursan's owed 7 million, uh, but that's non-guaranteed next year. You would assume, you know, the Bucks will waive him rather than pay him that. They could pay, bring him back on a smaller deal. Um, you know, is Marvin Williams going to resign as an unrestricted free agent? I mean, it could happen, right? Like, Bud seems to like him certainly much more than DJ Wilson. So I, I don't know. I mean, there's just a lot of kind of sim- similar thing. There's, it probably depends on a lot of other guys and sort of how they fit into, into the broader story of, of the Bucks roster next year. So um, yeah, certainly not a good time to be holding, well, really any stock in anything, but uh, DJ Wilson stock, let's say was, uh, was heading down long before uh, the, the stock markets, the actual stock markets around the world were doing that with, uh, with all the madness <laughs> now. So, um, so yeah, he's in that weird spot where I, I think there's a good chance he'll be around just because I don't know, exactly where they ship him off to right uh and and again i mean if if 
Ursan were not to return, then you will need some 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 bodies. Uh, but are they sold? You know, is Bud sold? And I mean, let's just be very clear. Like, is Bud does Bud believe enough in TJ Wilson to, um, you know, play him next year? I, I don't know. And obviously, some of that obviously also comes down to DJ just keeping his head down and doing the kind of stuff that the, the coaching staff wants, which again, you would think he's not that far off given the way he plays and the fact that he can play multiple, you know, defend pretty versatilely uh, on defense. But uh, I don't know. He's obviously been one of the, you know, w- between Sterling and DJ, I think those are the obvious, you know, two big disappointments of this season. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I mean, when I think back to the, the, the whole Christian Wood uh, situation last year and obviously the big numbers he was putting up with the herd one the only thing that I uh, sort of uh, tried to look at as a positive for him was the fact that he was obviously on a on a very generous deal the guy that was like I said putting up big numbers with the herd and I thought well you never know like maybe there's a situation next year where uh, you know a roster spot opens up or, or a spot in the rotation opens up we don't know obviously they ended up signing Robin Lopez and then in the end they're they're I guess center development guy ended up being Dragon Bender, who did not stay around anyway. But with DJ Wilson, I think um, because of the money that you already uh, mentioned, he's most likely going to be here. And there is some, there is a scenario where he becomes a guy that you need to to play in the rotation. Now, I'm not sure how confident people feel about that, considering the fact that he's hardly played at all this season. But uh, the only thing that I could really, uh, and, and this is this, I feel like this is a stretch. But the only thing that came to my mind when I thought about uh, those games that you spoke about where it seemed like the obvious uh, time or situation to play DJ Wilson and he didn't was that Bud we know is such a, a, a structured guy and, it, and it's not about necessarily individual players outside of outside of the star players, the, the rotation guys, it's about a system and who fits into the system. And the only thing that I could really come to in my mind was that he was really wanted to take those opportunities to say, okay, we need to try some different things. We want to try going uh, smaller. Obviously, the games against Sacramento were uh, a little bit interesting with some of the lineups they were running with Bielitsa at the five and, that, and, that's, and those sorts of things. But that's the only thing I can think of, why he wouldn't have played DJ. We spoke about it a lot through the season. It, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. But um, I, I think there's, there's multiple scenarios. And it's hard for us to say right now exactly what's going to happen, but I think there's multiple scenarios where... Uh, those guys, I, I think DJ obviously is most likely to still be here. There's certainly a scenario in my head where I can see that Sterling isn't. But uh, for now, as far as things stand, I think both guys are still uh, on the outer as, as, as much as this roster stays the same. And again, pending what happens with uh, guys like Connaughton and, and Marvin Williams and Ursine and these players. Do you want to do the TV shows? I do. Do you want to start this, Frank, or, or do you want me to, to tell you what I'm watching right now? Um, why don't you tell me what you're watching, and then um, I can kind of fill in. I'm, I'm guessing there might be a little bit of overlap based on some of the conversations we've had previously. Yeah. So I, I did uh, tweet this out today. I uh, I'm kind of disappointed because as I think for everyone right now, the days are, are kind of dragging. The weeks are. Uh, you know they're they're feeling pretty long i mean it hasn't even been two weeks since the nba finished which is is hard for me to believe but i spent my last couple of days in milwaukee now i I didn't think that i was going to be home and needing to to fill in my days with tv shows so quickly but i caught up with season four of better call Saul. so now i'm at the point where i have to wait a week 
for each episode. So it's Tuesday afternoon now as I'm recording this. We get the episode. You guys have already had it, I think. I think you guys have already been able to watch the latest episode, but we get it at 7 p.m. on Tuesday nights. So that's my uh, that's one thing I'm looking forward to to watching each week. I think Breaking Bad was still is still probably my favorite TV show of all time. But Better Call Saul has uh, I think over season four and now the start of season five, it's really starting to to heat up. It was a slow burn. The first few seasons were a slow burn. So Better Call Saul, uh, I, I'm really into that one. And the other weird one that I, I've started watching. So these are the two things I'm watching right now. Uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, I obviously have seen up to, I, I've watched it over the years and I, I think I've watched it to at least season six or seven, but I've gone back to the start of season six and I'm, I'm going through and I'm just going to, I'm going to catch up. I think they're in season 10 right now, but I, I kept on getting texts from my friends about how good it was. So, uh, so I, I'm trying to catch up on that, but like I said, I'm trying to space these things out. I've got a bunch of shows I want to watch. Someone on Twitter suggested I watched uh, Narcos Mexico, which I didn't even realize was a different series. I had no idea. So I'm going to try and get and watch that one. There's so many shows I've never watched. I haven't watched The Wire. I have so many people telling me to watch that one. Um, I'm sure you're going to have some recommendations that you would suggest that I absolutely must watch. Yeah, um, and um, it's kind of hard to figure out like where, how do I, like, where do I even find the list of my shows? Uh, because you know, everybody has like multiple streaming services yeah. that they can watch from. So it's like having kind of like that consolidated list of like, okay, here's my recommendations. It's kind of hard. I dug up a tweet I sent at the end of December which was kind of like my, my favorite shows of 2019. So I've got that. Um, but first, let me comment. I finished season four with my wife of Better Call Saul yesterday. So we're very closely tracking um, on that show. Okay. Uh, Breaking Bad is probably not my favorite show of all time. Right? I don't, it, but I, I have to say, I mean, especially the last two, three seasons were just so just, incredibly consistently awesome you know in the way yeah. it builds and ends um I, I i begrudge no one who says that that's their favorite show or that's the best show of all time i think it's right up there and um i, I think it's pretty incredible that they have constructed such an interesting addictive show out of better call Saul. because i mean let's be honest like not that much happens in a lot of this show <laughs> like, right you know, exactly i don't know like it's kind of it's a slow burn is a good way to describe it um I mean, you know, a lot of credit to Bob Odenkirk, Bob Odenkirk um, for, for, you know, being able to own a character who um, there are a lot of dimensions to him. Uh, and it's weird. Like, even if you love Breaking Bad, I think the premise of, oh, yeah, they're going to create a spinoff show that's going to be awesome about, you know, Saul. Uh would felt like a little bit of a stretch, but, you know, Vince Gilligan did such an amazing job with Breaking Bad. They're like, all right, I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. And, um, you know, the show, I, and I'll say this too about Breaking Bad. I thought the first season of Breaking Bad was kind of dragged for me, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, um, I actually stopped watching it probably like a season and a half in. And then my wife, who was then my girlfriend, kind of dragged me back in. And thankfully, because, you know, she was right. It was, it, it, it continued to grow and get better. Um, but yeah, that, that's a great show. I mean, again, probably we're preaching to the choir with a lot of our listeners on that. Um, I, and Curb, I'm, I actually, I haven't watched the last episode of this season, which came out last night. So I still have to do that. But this season has been, I, I think it's been just incredibly strong. I think the last two seasons have been 
Like he's not, he hasn't lost anything as far as, you know, <laughs> Larry David's fastball. It's, it's still there. Like if you like early curb, I feel like you're going to love, you know, the, the latest curb seasons too. So um, definitely a strong wreck on, uh, on, on curb. Um, some shows from like the last year or so that I really enjoyed. Um, so uh, Chernobyl, HBO limited series, it's only five episodes. Um, I didn't watch it originally cause it's about Chernobyl and that's kind of a, a, a drag, uh, not exactly a happy topic, but, um, it is just an exceptionally made show. Again, it's only five episodes. Um, Jared Harris is amazing. Uh, Emily Watson's great. Uh, Stellan Skarsgård's great. I mean, it's just an incredible, uh, uh, it's just an incredible achievement. I, I don't know how else to describe it. I was I was very excited when it won a bunch of awards because um, it's just an extremely well-made show, but a fascinating event in you know the history of our planet. Which um, I mean, I've always enjoyed sort of science. I used to work actually in the electric sector. I've I've actually toured where a client I used to have owned a bunch of elect uh, pot, nuclear power plants. So I actually uh, had a tour of an electric of a nuclear power mm. plant. Probably like maybe like 12, 13 years ago, I went through one, which was a very interesting experience and kind of made me appreciate um, the way that they portray kind of the science behind this, which is, I think, really interesting and really well done. Um, and there's also podcasts. Craig Mazin did podcasts about um, the show uh, as he, you know, as they were coming out, which I thought is really interesting because he's very committed to being open and honest about what was real and what was sort of artistic license about the show. So it's, if you're, if you're into that, um, it's a, it's a fun accompaniment. Um, probably my favorite show of the last year was HBO, another HBO show, uh, Watchmen. Um, this was nice. the Damon Lindelof, he described as a remix. So it basically, for those who are familiar with the graphic novel Watchmen, which takes place in 1986, I think, um, this essentially is sort of set present day, but sort of assumes, basically it takes the, the events of 1986 and essentially projects forward into time to, to 2019 and says, okay, what, what does that world look like and what might've happened after that? Um, but it doesn't really have many characters. I think it really only has like a couple of the characters from the original Watchmen show um, that are in that. And it injects a bunch of new kind of people and characters. And that's why it's not really an adaptation per se. Um, but I thought it was just an incredible television show i mean superhero or otherwise it's just an incredibly made show the way it's shot the music and soundtrack um it's just the performances are amazing i mean you can just list off like everybody uh who's involved regina king uh is fantastic um jeremy irons is amazing uh in that show i mean i don't know i mean i can just list like all the the, the famous people who are great in it but um that show, I mean, I watched probably every episode two or three times. Uh, I would watch it, my wife and I would watch it, and then we had a friend who was catching up, and we would watch it with him as he was catching up. Um, and it was just, uh, it was great. It's it's very different. It's weird. Like, you you may not really feel like you know what's under, what's going on. I feel like if you get to episode four or five, I think five, five is my favorite episode, but I think five, and, five to ten are all, were there ten episodes or eight? I can't remember. But anyway. Um, from five on, I feel like it just really kind of hits its, you, you kind of get the full picture of what's going on, but it's just sort of fascinating. And um, again, just a really awesomely done show. And I think it actually is sort of true to a lot of the intent of the original, even if it doesn't necessarily feel like that at the outset. 
Um, Cause it just sort of, I don't know, it just puts you in this sort of alternate universe that I think is just very thoughtfully done. Um, some other shows, um, the boy, speaking of sort of superhero stuff, the boys on prime. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of the show Kane. Uh, uh-huh. There's, there's a couple of, it's got a couple of New Zealand connections. Uh, two of the main characters are no the main actors. Frank. I think. Just I know, I know. That's what I'm <laughs> no, saying. You I'm may hate to. this because uh, <laughs> you may hate this because it's you know the Kiwis that are, yeah, that are exactly. getting the love for this. Uh, I think um, Carl Urban. He's not. He's not Australian, is he? No, I think he's. I think he's a Kiwi. Carl mm. uh, Urban and um, uh, Anthony Starr. I think was the name of the other guy. Uh, basically, it's about, uh, um, but it's interesting twist uh, on the whole superhero premise that you know is I think just kind of different and fun. Um, so boys definitely enjoyed that one. Um, I am not a animated show person. Um, I uh, always amaze people when I tell them that I had never seen any of Disney animated movies from Little Mermaid on and on. And that was like 1989 and on. So when I was eight, I just stopped watching. I, I was not a big cartoon person in general, but never saw any of the Disney movies. I did see Lion King this summer with my daughter. And so I sat down and watched it. It was fine. Uh, but yeah, I have not, I'm not really an animated person. I, I mean, I, the Simpsons is fine. I just, you know, I, I just don't really watch it. Um, but the show Big Mouth on Netflix, are you familiar with Big Mouth? I am not. You know this is great. Is? This is great. Okay. So Eric is also a huge fan of Nick Kroll and the old Kroll show on uh, Comedy Central. Nick Kroll, super talented, very funny. Uh, and a lot of the characters from Kroll show, he sort of imported into this, uh, animated show on Netflix. I think it's now three seasons in, um, which is about a bunch of like middle schoolers going through puberty, and it's very raunchy. Um, but it's very—I don't know. There's a sweetness to it, even though it's incredibly raunchy and foul. Um, <laughs> but it's just very hilarious to me. Uh, Jason Jason Manzukis is involved. Uh, there's a ton of people from like Nick Kroll sort of orbit. John Mulaney is—it's basically Nick Kroll and John Mulaney play the two main characters. Um, and, uh, it's just, I, I just find it, uh, totally hilarious. And, uh, perhaps my favorite character is a character named coach Steve, who is a down on his luck, uh, middle school, uh, gym, gym, co- gym, uh, gym teacher, uh, who has a very sort of sad life, but doesn't really realize it. And so he's very often, optim- he's like weirdly optimistic about everything. I don't know. You have to watch the show, but it's, it's very, very amusing. Um, succession. I think most people probably are aware of that show. Uh, you know, do I, I kind of struggle to get into it a little bit because it's like all the people kind of suck because they're just like rich people who, who are sort of shitty. But uh, it's very, it's comedic in a not like comedy, comedy type way, but it's, you know, sort of comedy drama. Um, it is very well done. Um, I think I, I got into it. It's two seasons in now. Definitely. You can still catch up on it pretty easily because it's what, 20 episodes or something like that. So, Definitely the hype, I think, is, is merited with Succession. So shout out to, to uh, many of you who probably are watching that. Um, other shows, uh, Umbrella Academy, another uh, superhero comic book thing on Netflix, only sort of suffers because I think Watchmen and The Boys, are, I think, are better. It's, it's probably close to The Boys. It's, it's an interesting one. Um, it's about a family of uh, kids who are sort of... Uh, uh, I think they're born on like one day when something very unique happens in the world. And so they all develop certain uh, abilities and then they grow up and uh, become a little less functional. But 
it's it's well done. Uh, Ellen Page is kind of like the only really famous person in it. I'm trying to remember, it came out a while ago, but uh, yeah, it's well done. First season uh, has been out for a while now. Hopefully, seconds. I don't know about the second season. I hope there's gonna be second season. Um, the Mandalorian. I feel like most people probably have heard people talk about the Mandalorian. I liked it. Uh, I'm a Star Wars fan. I feel like it's pretty simple. You know, it's kind of uh, adventure of the week type stuff. Um, so there's not necessarily, I, I don't know. I mean, there, there's, Ken, are you familiar with, with the Mandalorian on, on Disney plus? Like, do you, do you know, I, about uh, it? I, I, there's like, yes. okay. So you've seen the whole, whole series or you no, just sort of, aware I have of not, it? but I know about it. <laughs> okay. So, um, you know, whatever, I think everybody's heard about baby Yoda at this point. So I'm not right. probably not spoiling a whole lot. So, I mean, there's that, so there's that angle, um, which kind of ties it into like a broader sort of potential universe of, kind of tying into um, other Star Wars stuff. But otherwise, it's a lot of, you know, just, all right, what happens this week? Okay, they go and, you know, he's got to go do this. He has a mission this week. Next week, he's on another mission. It's good. You know, it's well done. Um, I'm a big Pedro Pascal fan from, I thought he was the best character on Narcos, the original Narcos series. I really enjoyed him there. Um, I like him a lot. Um, It's a little weird because, like, you just never really see his face. So that's kind of weird, you know, uh, that he's under the helmet kind of most of the time um but uh you know it's good it's entertaining um let me see what else fleabag won a bunch of awards it's very well done i think the second season is better i mean it's only like six episodes per season because it's british and they like to keep things brief um andrew scott in the second season is probably uh so phoebe waller bridge is super talented she's very funny i mean she's the creator of it um she's great uh you know, if you don't necessarily enjoy British humor, then maybe it's not for you. But um, first season is good, and I think the second season is even better because Andrew Scott, uh, well, I'll just give you the plot. Basically, he plays a priest who she falls in love with, and he actually, like, is able to sort of go back and forth with her and kind of elevates the show, I think, to, to kind of another level. He was uh, he was tremendous in, in the show. Um, I, a, I would say a very uh, offbeat, um, brief, like, very short, I think they're only like 15 minute episodes, sketch comedy show on Netflix from Tim Robinson, who used to be on uh, uh, SNL for briefly. Uh, by the way, basketball tie-in. If you guys have never seen uh, a sketch involving Tim Robinson and Jason Sudeikis about uh, the origin of Round Ball Rock, the John Tesh uh, theme song to the NBA and NBC, uh, Google to find it. Uh, it's, it's very amusing. Uh, that was one of Tim Robinson's few highlights when he was on SNL didn't have a, only was a, was a cast member for one year. I think he was a writer before that, but not, not a long tenure there, but uh, he, it's, it's a very distinctive type of awkward humor that he has. And I think you should leave, uh, but I buy in. And there's also a, um, it's called, I think, uh, I think you should leave pass is a Twitter account, yeah. which basically applies. <laughs> uh, I think you should leave sort of jokes to, uh, to NBA related things. And, Real, uh, real kind of fans of Locked On has have probably seen Eric tweet out. Uh, he has a recurring bit when Chris Middleton shoots on a over a smaller player. Uh, he tweets a picture of a guy from uh, a very weird character from that show where he's saying too small. Uh, so I, I'm sure Kane, if you know nothing about that show, you at least know about that little little meme. Um, and then uh, other shows, uh, unbelievable and a story about a um, woman who it was a rape survivor. wasn't She was not believed, so the title is a play on that unfortunate kind of aspect of it. But uh, really, really well done show. Tony Collette, uh, Aussie. Uh, 
and Merritt Weaver um, are the two main characters. Uh, it's a well-done show. Uh, Barry on HBO. Barry's a good show. I like it. I feel like it's really well done. I don't know if it connects with me entirely, but I think it's a good show. We're, we're checking out if you uh, kind of don't, uh, you know, look for something. And um, uh, a very offbeat show on Hulu called Future Man. Um, it's kind of hard to describe Future Man other than to say it's a sort of comedic sci-fi time travel show, which is just a weird thing to say, but um, I think it totally works. There's been two seasons. The last season's coming out uh, this spring. Um, it's just uh, weird and, and very, very funny to me. So uh, I, I give Future Man also a wreck. Um, yeah. That's what I got for now, Kane. What uh, have you seen any of these shows, or did I just completely dumbfound you with all these? Um, well, I mean, the big thing is that uh, I I feel like I'm now going to be set um, for six months. If, if this is uh, if this is what happens, there's no fear of not having shows to watch. The only other thing that I noticed today, when I was scrolling through some of the the streaming services, you said I didn't realize, and I don't know whether this is a new thing or whether it was always there but and i know we didn't talk that much about movies but i didn't realize that uncut gems was on netflix has that always been a thing or is that in, just in australia but i, I noticed that before so I, I did want to get to the i don't i definitely don't think it, I, it, that is just on like on demand you, you have to pay for that here in the u.s like you can't it's not on any like free streaming service or i won't say free streaming service, but like it's, you have to pay for it as a, as a rental i think in the u.s right now so I'm, that's probably like a quirk of the australian market if uncut gems is on netflix there Hmm. Yeah, I just noticed it for the first time here, and and there is, um, so I I mean some people don't know this the, the the Netflix in Australia is definitely different from the US, and that's why the shows like Better Call Saul are, are, are so far behind in Australia. We don't get them for nearly like six months after you guys do on on Netflix. So I was basically just watching that when I got back uh, to Milwaukee. The only other thing I watched last night, and I don't know if we ever spoke about this, whether you ever in your youth got into WWE or WWF, but I did last night watch, and I think that I'd seen parts of this before, but I did last night watch the 30 for 30 on Ric Flair, which was just, I mean, I, I don't know whether you saw that, but the, the life that that guy was living for 25 years, I have no idea how he's still alive. Uh, I Just insane, the things that, that he got up to, but it was, it was uh, an interesting one. If anyone hasn't seen that, I'm sure anyone that's a wrestling fan has watched that, but... Um, I'll probably be doing that. I'll probably be going back and watching a, a bunch of the thirty for thirties as well because they're always they're always pretty interesting. I would say. Yeah, I saw the, I saw. The, well, I guess it was an was an I think it was an HBO documentary because I think Bill Simmons was involved on Andre the Giant, which I thought yeah. was good. Um, but I've not seen the Ric Flair. Um, so yeah, that's that's a blind spot for me. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else uh, that we haven't talked about. So the outsider, uh, just finished on HBO. Um, definitely enjoyed it. Uh, little uneven. I thought it was maybe a couple episodes longer than it needed to be, but, um, you know, it was, it was good. It was well done. Um, Ben Mendelsohn, shout out to the Aussies. Uh, Ben, big fan of his. Uh, that was good. Um, also Ozark is coming back this week, uh, on Netflix. Um, Jason, I'm a big Jason Damon fan. I think the first two seasons were awesome. Um, really well done. I mean, he's kind of the person kind of behind driving that entire show, which I think is a big kudos to him. I mean, I'm a, I'm a old Arrested Development fan. So for him to, you know, be able to kind of play these different, uh, 
to play very dark and serious. I mean, there's there's definite kind of Breaking Bad uh, parallels between uh, Ozark and uh, and well, Breaking Bad. Um, so so that's definitely something to kind of look out for. Um, also, uh, I didn't love the last season, but Fargo, the TV show, the first two seasons, I think are awesome. Totally great shows. If you have not seen those, um, I definitely recommend those. The, the first season with Billy Bob Thornton is typically the one that people, I think, gravitate towards the most better. Um, it take, I think it takes place in the late 70s, and it's the soundtrack's awesome. Just like everything about it, I think it's just super well done. Um, a lot of very recognizable people uh, in, in that show, um, and just, just super well done. Um, Mindhunter on, on Netflix, also a pretty good show. Um, I'm not, I, see, I, I never think of this because I'm not into it as much as I think so. I thought it's really well done. It's sort of about the origins of the um, kind of serial killer profiling done at the FBI in, I guess, in the seventies. Um, I should probably have a better sense of when that was when that happened. I think it was in the seventies, not in the sixties. But um, but well done. David Fincher is behind that, so that's interesting. He's apparently taking a hiatus from it, so it's I don't know if it's ever going to come back. But um, that's definitely also a good show. And then a really really weird show. Um, that so uh oh, oh and i have one more show after this um because i it, they they kind of go together for me so i don't know what the i don't know what your tolerance is for weirdness but there's a tv show on uh, netflix called the oa it is a very strange show it i don't even know how to describe it it, it sort of it, well it, the premise is a a woman who um disappears for seven years and then returns and she was blind before now she can see and she uh was abducted and held for seven years and there's some sci-fi kind of aspects to it well there's a lot of sci-fi aspects to it um it's super inventive very bizarre very strange you may be like what the hell was that or you may think that was amazing uh i just watched the second season apparently they're not coming back with the third uh and i really enjoyed it as well um, and then the other show that I always think of when I think of like just shows that became very strange and just took these big leaps, but that I totally bought into, uh, the leftovers, which came out quite some time ago on HBO. Uh, it's about basically the premise of the show is, is what would happen if I think it's 3% of the world's population just vanished in an instant. Um, maybe some, uh, kind of haunting parallels given some of the stuff we're talking about now as far as COVID-19 and what that may have, what that could do to uh, the world's population. But um, but it is, so it starts from that premise. It's also a Damon Lindelof show. Uh, and it's about sort of what happens to humanity after that type of event and, and what it does to people's belief in God and society and, and all this stuff. And um, Justin Theroux is in it. He's awesome. Um, and the first season I will say is a tough hang. Uh, it is, it is pretty dark. Um, the first season is based on the book and the next two seasons were actually not based on the book. It was sort of, they just kind of went with it. And I think seasons two and three are incredible and very different. Uh, and, uh, I just think it's one, it's one of the shows I feel like that engaged me emotionally. I don't know if any other show has ever engaged me in the same way emotionally as that show. It just, absolutely sucked me in and um it's just a was an amazing amazing show and uh for people who didn't like the way lost ended um i thought season two ended it could have ended the show 
they weren't sure if it was going to come back. And then season three, I thought was also a great ending. So, um, so that was good. And then the and Watchmen, which also was a Lindelof show, I thought ended really well too. So, um, anyway, all right, we've been here way too long, Kane. Um, have have I mentioned any other show that you've even seen or heard about, or have I just given you another six months of of viewing to do? Um, you have given me six months of shows to watch, but I, I'm glad that you did bring up the OA because that was one that I completely forgot about. I watched that a couple of years ago. That's been around for a while, and I didn't realize that they weren't uh, having a new season. But I enjoyed that one. But I, I think for the most part, this has gone the way they had. A, they had a know. second. They had a second season. They had a second season. To be clear, they're just not going to have a third season. So you you still have one more season you can watch. Which I would say if you if you like the first season, you will like the second season. I did. It was super strange. I think that's, it was a weird show. I think that's yeah. the best way of putting it. But uh, I ha- yeah, I, hes- I hesitate. I hesitate to even recommend it without <laughs> like kind of caveats because I don't want to stake my like reputation as a TV recommender on DOA because it is out yeah. there. Um, but there's definitely some people are going to watch it and probably, you know, enjoy it as much as uh, I guess we did. Well, um, I, I, you know, overall, this went the way that I thought it would. And hopefully um, you aren't pissed off at me like uh, like the, the Twitter user might have suggested you may have been. I tried to bring a couple of things to the table, but I think ultimately I understand my place in the pecking order when it comes to uh, to this type of thing. And, and hopefully uh, people will get some shows to watch from that. But uh, we, we, you know, I always knew this was going to be the, the probably the longest question to answer or the longest episode of the mailbag once we got to this um there's still some basketball stuff some cap stuff which as we already pointed to is kind of difficult to sort of uh navigate through that at the moment but we will get to those we uh we are going to get to the end of this mailbag but hey we've, we've got uh we've got plenty of time uh, let's 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 be real about that but frank uh appreciate you jumping on again uh we did say at the start this was going to be a short episode um we failed i don't think either of us are surprised but before we wrap this up, I, uh, this time, today's podcast I'm going to promote is the uh, Rejecting the Screen with Adam Stanko and Noah Kozlov. Uh, they do two episodes a week. One of the episodes is always with a, a pretty big name guest. They have interesting people coming on that podcast. So check that one out after you checked out uh, Locked on Bucks. But for Frank and myself, Kane Pittman, we will uh, speak to you guys next time.